0: resistance join the resistance how we
1: practice
0: hey everybody welcome to pop culture continuum this is John Elliot
1: this is Patrick Riccardi.
0: and for the millionth time returning
2: it's me again yay we don't even need to say your name anymore but he cares anyway. They're just going to stop listening if they knew who it was. <laughs> well, they somehow still listen
0: when they know it's me and Pat, so maybe not. <laughs> uh, and this week Our we're doing... Our uh,
2: numbers
1: belie that.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, this week we're doing... We'll let you t- say it, Michael. you your idea?
2: Right. Um, you guys contacted me and were extremely interested in doing the seminal drag documentary um, called Paris is Burning from 1990 or 91. And um, versus um, RuPaul's Drag Race, for which we will be talking about season four, episode one.
0: Yeah, I'm glad I watched the right one. Um, yeah, Paris is Burning came out in 1990, but it was it was filmed in '87, right?
2: Right. She started filming in 87, which is really obvious as yeah. you watch the movie that, you know, years go by in between conversations because they change. They physically look older or thinner or fatter or younger or what have you. And the the, the culmination, which um, I found out about this movie on Joan Rivers. I don't know if you guys remember the Joan Rivers show. Yep. She
0: had Who's Cardew on. I loved it.
2: Yes, uh, it must have been about the same time. Um she had um the main people who are in this movie, which features like specific you know nightlife, drag queen, big people from um, the New York scene. And she couldn't even get the title of the movie right. like when she she introduces them, she says, "Is Paris burning?" like cause that's she gets the whole title of the movie wrong. And then they sit down for an hour and talk about the movie, which is like insane now to think that you'd spend a whole episode of a talk show talking about a single documentary that's like 90 minutes. But that's where I found out about it anyway. Wow. Do you know what year that was? Well, I'm, I was 90, just two or, I guess, two or three years old, so it must have been 91. Um, sure. So a lot of people watching that
1: Joan Rivers were expecting a movie about World War Two and uh, people in Paris trying to survive, and they,
2: they were a little <laughs> wow. disappointed after Joan <laughs> kind of messed up the name. Well, it's funny because, you know, like back – well, I guess now I think people try a little harder to actually watch the movie maybe or read the book that they're talking about on a show, and Joan – kind of seemed unprepared because <laughs> she had questions that seemed like she'd never seen the movie. And um, they, they patiently sat and they talked her through it. And everyone in the movie looks way better on Joan Rivers than they look in the movie because the movie, um, for you know, a very young gay man like myself, um, presents this very sort of bleak or grimy or um, dingy um, life. Which is then the the glamorous part is then the balls, which are the the big events where drag queens or anybody shows up, and the goal, according to the movie, is to walk um, the runways and to um, what's the word I guess to to have this illusion of realness in whatever you're doing in one of the many many categories. So the 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 film like at the time just seemed like oh my god here is another like, part of life that I will never understand and I will (laughs) never be part of. And even now, like, nobody is probably part of life quite like that anymore. But um, the movie is basically just about, like, this black, mostly black or Latino or um, underground um, uh, uh, gay ball scene in Harlem in New York in the 80s from which, at the time, everybody was like, oh, it's about voguing. This is... What voguing is everybody? And then a year later, Madonna comes out with Vogue, and um, you know takes a lot from that movie and a lot from the performers who are in that movie. So she sort of steals something or culturally appropriates something. Madonna that, culturally appropriating—that seems out of character for her. I, I can't picture her going to the movies personally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe she went to the to the balls herself, but can you imagine Madonna like going to a theater and and you know like the popcorn smell and her sitting in a chair. I don't think that happened. Well, <laughs>
0: she's probably got somebody, you know, uh, performing oral on her when she's watching a movie. <laughs> Some bald, buff, black dude down on the grimy floor. That is a very specific way to see a movie. I, that's how I, just how I picture Madonna seeing movies.
2: <laughs> but anyway, the movie is like filled with all these really amazing characters who, again, at the time I didn't quite get it. Because I was very young, but I didn't quite get all of the. Um, you know, like seeing documentaries was a new thing. Like in the in the late '80s, early '90s, I don't think a lot of us were seeing documentaries in general. No. But, you know, well, maybe my country uh, upbringing didn't lead me to see many. And you know, the sound is—you really have to listen to what they're saying, um, because it's not recorded with like the best equipment ever, or what have you. And people are just in their homes and they're just talking about their lives. And they're, they're sort of putting on that character. Like, um, the main character, one of the main characters is Pepper Lebesha, who was one of the big, um, uh, mothers of that scene. And, um, Pepper sort of talks in a way that just draws you in, but you really have to listen to her. And she's very, she's a very good storyteller and she's very interesting to listen to. Um, and as are the others i guess but sort of the energy is like you come to me and and um again years later after watching this thing many many times like i've come to love every minute of it and all the weirdness and all the weird sadness and you know just the the fact that this movie is the first movie that where you see like non white gay people yeah for the most part, you know, and, and white is, is, or sorry, white people, white drag queens There have actually been movies including white drag queens all the way back like to the sixties, but an actual um, non-white person who is gay or non-white person who is um, doing this sort of thing um, total drag performance of some sort. This is the first big um, moment for that sort of thing and has inspired so much that will come after that, including RuPaul, including everything that you know we're going to talk about later.
0: Yeah, no, I I found this movie fascinating.
1: I you, did too. Yeah, I I went in thinking it was about the drag balls, and I was thinking the drag balls were at some kind of club and they're a little more glamorous. But they're in like high school gyms, <laughs> and really kind of something that when you're a kid you would go to like for your school. It wasn't it wasn't quite as glamorous as I expected, but it was really. <laughs> And I mean, that, that, and it was, it was like four different movies that, in all good movies, like it was talking about the balls, it was talking about a gay life in, in Harlem in the in early 80s and, and just all kinds of stories. Trained, like two or three other characters were, or characters, people were trans- transgender and hearing about their life story. And, and there's a lot of tragedy. It, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's really good.
2: Yeah. It's, there's so much dark, like in this. And I don't mean, um, appearance or skin color or anything like that but there's so many like dark stories in this thing where the whole thing is set against like new york in the 80s being ravaged by aids everybody being gone um which they don't touch on so much they get to it and they get to it here and there and um, they they all talk about like how some of them are um, uh, working girls Hustlers. and yeah right and everybody's right, afraid they go, that they, they'll they, have
1: AIDS they go they go around a bit before they actually say what they are because uh, the one woman does refused to say it. I forget she calls them showgirls. And uh, (laughs) you hear the director says, "Well, what else?" They like she's trying to lead her to say it, but she refuses to say it. And then at the end of the interview, she gives like a little knowing glance at the camera, and then it's off to the next woman, or I forget who who talks next. But then they uh, they actually say "hustler" on the next scene,
2: right? I mean, exactly. And it's, it's, you know, like it's, it's one of those things where, okay, that's, that's part of it. So that's very bleak. And you just get this sense of foreshadowing that this isn't going to end well for a lot of these people. <laughs> and, um, the, the, the best part about the movie, though, the part that I love the most and the, where the creativity really shines is when they're actually walking the balls as, you know, and they're in these dingy, um, settings in these terrible, like looking run down looking like places that look like, um, yeah, they look like
0: to me, like, uh, like the Italian social clubs right. that, like, Marlon Brando's <laughs> character would hang out at a Little Italy. They're, you know? they're
2: always in a basement of something. Yeah. Right. Right. It looks like it's a basement, or it, in the city here in the city. I feel like a little bit. It looks like the Independent or the American yeah. Music Hall if they were grungier. If they were dirtier.
1: Yeah. One for sure was a gym that you could see the the things the uh,
2: basketball hoops, basketball hoops, and the stuff on the ground is all like faded out. But yeah. Right. Exactly. And they and they're just walking in the middle of the floor. There's nothing special set up for them and there's it's just people sitting around in chairs gawking at them. And it's it's not like anything amazing. It's not highly produced or anything like that. But yet there's these enormous trophies that you go home with. And on the Joan Rivers show, they actually show the trophies. And the trophies are huge. They can't even bring them onto the set. They're in the background, like against the the background of her, her set, because they're too big to bring up to where the couches are. And they spend all their money on the trophies and the rental of the place. And then, you know, the individual people put together their outfits or whatever. And it's interesting just because they're not just doing women they're not just doing like fashionable women or whatever but they're doing like um i i didn't understand this in the 90s but i understand it now like they're doing like you want to appear as if you're an executive businessman or whatever something that you will never be
0: or in the military yeah like they're they're trying to pass for for success successful like what well i mean they talk about it in the film for what they see as successful white people
2: occupations Right. It's White, kind of hetero this...
0: occupations, I should say, yeah. exactly
2: exactly. it's this it's this really sad mentality that you kind of don't realize existed for. Well, or at least my naivety, I, d- I did not know that it existed, that like people of color felt like they were never going to get out of the situation they were in, and that they would never be an executive on Wall Street, or that they could never be something better than what they were right now. And so this the balls were just a way to, like, I'm going to be a preppy student. Right. Like, it's so sad. Like, that's one of the easiest things for a white person to, to do, you know, to look like a preppy student. And the...
1: The, The one guy really reinforces what you're talking about with this quote from his father, where he's like, when I came out to my dad, he's like, you already have one strike against you. Now you have two strikes. You're really going to have to, you're going to have to go through. So I forget exactly. What I was, you said you, he said,
0: you got, you're born with two strikes against you because you're black and you're a man. And now you've got a third strike because you're gay. Um, and your, your life's just going to be even that much harder now. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and despite all of this like bleak messaging that's there, they, they really do like say some of the funniest things and it's their conversations and their dialogues that sort of live on past that stuff in this movie. And what made me go back to this a few years ago and start watching it religiously again is that, like, RuPaul now um, says – he has all kinds of, like, catchphrases and just things he says. And people are always throwing out phrases to you. And, like, to to watch Paris is Burning after talking to some gay people, you realize, oh, my God, people are just repeating lines from that movie. Like, <laughs> In infinity like they're just everything that they say like so many people say um there's a great line where one of the transsexual girls says um whatever i have between me down there is is my personal secret or something like that <laughs> and i've heard so many people say like oh that's between me down there,"s or, or something <laughs> <laughs> and the great caller the guy who's who's actually announcing the people as they walk yeah the yeah ball, he's awesome he is so funny. Like that guy is saying stuff. Like um, I think the first thing he says that really makes me laugh is, he says it is a known fact that a lady do carry an evening bag.
1: The funniest line for the movie for me was uh, the, the the two the two when the two girls on the beach and the ones like I'm now a. a, a a true woman i've gone through the surgery and the one was like stop bragging and then she keeps going on a little bit more it's like i am all woman and then the <laughs> the other one says except that voice is still there yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's amazing that they like like i remember thinking my god this movie paints these people's lives as so bleak and so, like, without anything, they talk a lot about how, like, they have to steal stuff to um, to, to make, make outfits costumes, yeah. and costumes. And But yet they're having so much fun when they're just, like, hanging out together on the pier or when they're at the beach, you know, laughing about whatever. And it's a little crazy, but the whole, like, the whole way that you think of people having fun now is nowhere near that bleak. It's, like, <laughs> nowhere is so, like, socially unaccepted. You know, like this movie, I think is maybe, I think a lot of people saw Paris is Burning and said, well, I think actually the people in Paris Burning, Paris is Burning are from the Stone pre-Stonewall era where they were like, oh, gays have to keep it quiet. Some of them, definitely, yeah. Definitely some of them. Some not are too young for it, but yeah. But like the older ones are sort of like, they went through Stonewall in the late 60s and they were like, well, you're right, we're not going to hide anymore, but we're going to kind of keep it, you know, in this gay ghetto, or and which is kind of a controversial term, I guess, but to sort of keep it in the gay world and to keep it sort of quiet or for themselves. And I think, and saying with the mentality, I could never be more than this, so I'm going to make the most out of this. And I think people saw this movie and said, "Mm, I don't think that's good enough. I think that we're not going to keep it in the balls, and we're not going to keep it um, in that, you know, limited world and they're going to step outside it.
0: Yeah, we're not going to settle, settle for being uh, marginalized and
2: ghettoized, right? Right, I mean, RuPaul hits the scene with that Supermodel song, like, within a year of this right. movie. And, like, then it's changed forever. It's, like, mainstream at that point. And, you know, maybe not completely, but more than it had ever been. And now, it's so completely mainstream that it's on TV once a week. And it's a big competition, and um, it just seems like maybe again we live in San Francisco, right? At least John and I do, and I'm I'm sure there's a lot of Philadelphia drag queens as well, but um, and I'm sure they're really pretty. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> subtle slam on Philadelphia drag queens, all right? Ow! <laughs> I'm offended for them. <laughs> no, we're not, we're we're certainly not known for pretty here. We're known for like freaky and like yeah, not- really scary yeah but um yeah so paris is burning it's hard to know it's hard to describe exactly what people should do other than sit down and watch it and just have an open mind and laugh at what's funny and watch it a few times because it takes a while to catch everything but it's really um just the stuff that when they're walking the balls, and the guy is is sort of calling or um, uh, he's he's announcing the ball, like the guy doing that is so funny that it's so it's worth it just to watch him. Even though the main characters in this movie, Pepper LaBeija, um, Dorian Corey, um, there's a couple of women from the house, women um, drag queens from the house of Extravaganza,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I can't uh, Penn Davis, I think is the other one.
1: Was and was Octavia St. Laurent, Laurent.
2: Of course, Octavia St. Laurent. She's very real looking. Um, and Willie Ninja, who um, was, I think, the one who got to be the most mainstream out of all of them. Because, I mean, he was in advertisements for, he was like a model. He was in ads that you would see in the 90s in like GQ or whatever. He, he was known as a dancer um, who, again, worked with people who in, worked with RuPaul, et cetera, et cetera. And um, they're all dead now. A lot of them didn't make a dime from this movie. Um, I don't know if the director is still alive or not. I feel like she had some characters yeah, still alive. She had some kind of issue with cancer, I think, that I remember reading about. But you know, this movie was produced for um, something reasonable, like three hundred thousand dollars, and um, won the Sundance uh, prize, and I think made like three million. Or maybe a little bit more than that, and nobody ever really saw much from it. It wasn't really like a big moneymaker, but it was like this big cultural moment. Um, even though it's not as easy to access as drag would be now, right? Um, it, like it, it's much more defined now. There's much. It's much easier to turn on Drag Race and to watch a character than it was in um, in uh, Paris is Burning. But the, just for the the characters and the um i don't know just the the way they talked and it's not about the fashion for me the fashion is pretty awful it's typical 80s garbage yeah yeah but the 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 attitudes and the you know they made it work even though they had nothing and they were pretty put down um, well,
0: i i think yeah i think it's interesting especially for like younger people who like you said like this with uh the attitudes towards uh gay rights and and drag queens and stuff now is so much more accepting it's it's they probably don't realize how harsh it was back then even you know even in the 80s which was not that long ago but the idea that all these people were like barely getting by in their lives and the one thing that they really had to look forward to were, were these balls and you could You know, you can understand it um, because that's that's the only place they could really feel like they had a home and Mm -hmm. and they fit in. Um, And, you know, they weren't they were too like they were proudly gay, but that didn't didn't help them back then. It didn't help them get jobs or anything, you know. Um, Right. They were just they
2: were just sort of like people who had limits because of everything. Yes. Society put
0: them in a box and that's where they stayed.
2: And they turn that box into a fabulous gown. Yes,
0: <laughs> and you you get yeah or you,
1: or business suit or
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> but you get a real sense of the of the history and and like what it took to get here from watching this movie. I I feel like. Yeah, totally. And you get a sense of of the scene and 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 what drives it and you know what motivates the people to to get into it um yeah i just found it awesome and and then just even some of the terms like reading um, right which and there was a great scene of the the one um the one drag queen talking to a bunch of straights and just like slamming them all and they're all cracking
2: up you know Um, because they obviously started out fucking with them and that's like, I feel like people just now are getting that reading or shade is a thing. And like Well, yeah, I, like throwing shade is a term now. I had no idea it went back that far. Oh yeah, exactly. And the, like, the, I love the the podcast called "Throwing Shade." Not no intentional um, plugs there, but they're not throwing shade, really. They're not like doing what shade is. They're just—it's just using a term that's like out there. Right. Like, n- I don't think a lot of people even get what they're talking about. They're, it's so subtle. Like the whole the, her whole line when she's explaining what shade is was the, um, I don't have to tell you you're ugly because of you course you you know you're <laughs> yeah, ugly right. <laughs> <laughs> Like that is such a subtle fucking insult. And yes, it's amazing. <laughs> and reading, I've seen people read each other, and it's 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 funny how reading is often so good, good natured, and or or at least it's meant to be funny because you're not really taking it that seriously. Right. Perfect,
0: perfect. example with the with the bunch of straights and the and the uh, the drag queen talking to them. Like they were all laughing. They were taking it good naturedly.
2: Exactly. Whereas I think that if straight people did that to each other, you'd be like, oh my God, <laughs> who's that bitch? This person hates me. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, it's I, just such a unique form for I, that person.
0: Yeah. I loved the the non definition of throwing shade they gave because you kind of get it. Like, you, you get that it's maybe just in a glance or or the, a tone of voice when you're talking without even saying anything insulting or, or just a, a reaction to somebody what they're doing or what
2: they're wearing you know yeah exactly it's like it's it's one element of their subculture that i think this movie put into solid form that maybe went completely out of control after this like i think that um uh when you talk about shade and reading you've also got like just the categories like people i never heard like um the category is, you know, executive realness, or schoolgirl realness, or um, butch queen first time in drags. Right. <laughs> no, I think it's a hilarious category. But oh, like, look, the, I hear the, that now. The Dorian,
1: I think Dorian Corey was the one talking about all the categories, and she's like, well, I, "I can't stay awake for those." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is what the this is what the children do. I can't stay awake for, for those.
0: She was actually my favorite character. Not see his character again. Favorite person
2: in the film. She, I mean, she is. And what's funny is that when they start that movie, it's 87. And they're not saying things like there's too many categories these days. But they're shooting that interview with her where she's putting on makeup. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes later. I think that's later in the 80s, like 89. And then she's saying that there's too many categories, and that the children come now, and that balls are hours and hours long, and everybody's got a category, everybody's got to take home a trophy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, that was happening then, too. <laughs> you know, that nobody cannot go home without a trophy, um, sort of. It's a different mentality, but um, – Little League and drag balls, same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it shows you how, like, far ahead they were, that, like, they were predicting that exactly what they were doing is essentially what happened to everybody else later.
0: Yeah, well, I I mean, I think it's been a thing since at least the 80s, no matter what subculture you're talking about. I, I mean, I I think subcultures kind of cease to exist at this point because everything yeah. gets co-opted by the main culture so quickly. But, you know, every subculture you can think of from the 80s was... Was twenty years ahead of its time, you know, and and things, it all caught on in in culture, but just took that much longer. Um, yeah, it's it was really interesting. I was talking to Viv about it, and I was talking to her about you know the the punk scene in the eighties and similarities and differences. There's definitely a lot of differences, but uh, mm. but in some ways similar. I mean, it, with the punks, it was mostly middle class white white people rejecting that whole life and, and kind of siding with the with the drag queens and the disenfranchised you know whereas yeah, these job. people were were uh, aspirational like pretty much everybody in the movie says their dream is to be rich and famous
1: right. yeah I like I like the one uh, she says I want to be somebody and then like have a second letter I mean I am somebody but I want to <laughs> be somebody with money yeah <laughs> which you, you can is the kind
0: of thing that that um, you know punk were rejecting that whole idea of, of, um, you know, being rich to be successful and stuff. And You can say that's kind of shallow, but what they're really talking about in this movie when they say they want to be rich or famous is to be accepted and to feel accepted because that's how they, that's how they see, you know, the majority of America that, that is accepted in their eyes. They're, they've got money and they're, and, or they're, and, or they're famous and that's how they can get by and be free
1: not only accepted but safe i mean you have not the, judged yeah yeah venus is talking about uh, wanting to what was it? she was with the, the she was a, a hustler, and she was with the guy and she figures out or he figures out that she has something between her legs or however she put it <laughs> and then like she, she could have been murdered right th- well she was later but right then she could have been murdered so having money would make it so she wouldn't have to do that and she'd be safe
0: right no exactly it's it's
2: about freedom to be able to live as yourself that that's really what they're aspiring toward right and from a level where like most of these people are say that you know they were thrown out of their house and like disowned or what have you and they're in new york because they're basically they've got nothing else to do like that's what you did when you had you know nowhere you went to new york and they made their lives and you know venus being one example is like somebody who just like they show her on her bed and it looks like the most depressing little one room apartment and she's laying on her bed talking about her life and you can just feel that like, my God, she has nothing. And she's still like in her mind. Like she's, she goes on with this idea that I will be rich and famous or I can be a star. I can be perfect. And, right. um, that, I mean, again, they all have tragic endings, <laughs> <laughs> hers might so, be the most tragic hers is hers she's the only one who um spoiler alert dies before the movie comes out where was she murder most foul <laughs> <laughs> and murder it's funny. Never
1: found, surprisingly
2: because they position her the news of her death right after they ask her if she's uh, pr- a prostitute essentially and she's like no not really men men take me out and and they give me things and um i don't even have to have sex with 99 percent of them and well well maybe i don't have to have sex with 95 percent of them yes, and <laughs> i was waiting
0: for her to keep going down
2: <laughs> oh i think she does um <laughs> But then she, she basically makes the the allegory that, you know, a married woman has to sleep with a man, her husband, to get a new washer and dryer, which I didn't know. I guess that's the case. I did not know that that's how that worked. Out in the suburbs, that's what happens. Yeah. I, well, I, yeah, I think <laughs> yeah but
1: then 10 seconds later, like without without any setup, she's just, well, she's been murdered. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: I was like, God damn, dude. I guess they didn't feel like they were showing a bleak enough picture of the world. And right, this like,
1: leads up to uh, something that I found out after watching. Michael, you should tell the story about about,
2: uh, about Dur- uh, Dorian. Yeah. Right. So the the great legends of this film are um, that, you know, there was always a big mystery surrounding who killed um, Venus Extravaganza. And after the movie came out, there was a very brief time where, like, they enjoyed more attention in New York. And then they all kind of disappeared or quickly, one by one, passed away from AIDS. Or other things, I, I don't want to assume. But if, when you look them up, most of them, you know, it's a house in Virginia. Um, but right. the um, the lady, um, Dorian, Dorian Corey, um, after she died, her friends and family or people went through her house um, to clean it out. And they find um, a mummified um, body of a person who has been shot in the head. And they identify it, and it's like her former boyfriend or lover or something like that that had been dead 15 years. And this was maybe 94, I think, Dorian died. So the whole um, backstory is that while Dorian was sitting in her house talking to the film director and while she was putting on makeup and during this filming, there is a dead body in the house. A mummified dead body, even. Like I, I can't remember if it was tucked away in a closet or a freezer, but it had been whatever whatever had happened. She it's just a mystery. She just you know um, uh, wrapped the body up, put it away, <laughs> and never said anything about it. And you know when she died, it was still there. And she had to know that they would find it or something. I don't know. But it's just this crazy end note to this very crazy story. Um, and, and it's especially
1: poignant <laughs> when you think they uh, they're talking about Venus dying, and then the very next scene has. As Corey talking, and she's just talking about how she used to want to be famous, and now she's like, well, if you left your mark in the world... No, you left your mark in the world if you just get through it. And this makes me think... Or, you you know, a couple people
0: remember you. You don't have to twist the world, I think, is what she said. Right.
1: But, I mean, just getting through it was enough for her. Right. And the fact that she had to kill the guy just to get because in my mind this guy was trying to kill her and she killed him in self-defense. I don't know if that's true, but that's just what I got out of that statement. And with especially with Venus dead, like them right after each other, and it's not like the director knew anything about the body. I hopefully, didn't know anything about yeah. the body behind the clothes right where she's filming.
2: I know I was re, I was rewatching this movie right around the time I was trying to finish up um, that Daredevil show on Netflix. And it was the same idea of like, mm, well, you might have had to kill somebody to get where you're getting, but is it okay? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> don't spoil it. I haven't
1: finished watching Daredevil. No, don't worry. That's not a spoiler in any way. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, was wondering if he turned into a drag queen. Well, it's... <laughs> <laughs> of course, his colors wouldn't be very good.
0: <laughs> I bet there are going to be some drag Daredevils now that the Netflix series out. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be awesome. Yeah, I mean they weren't there's no way it was going to happen after the Ben Affleck debacle, but Oh
2: god no. Um
0: Yeah, I, well the that murder I didn't know about either, but that kind of highlights in a in a weird way uh, a theme of the film too in that like in the 80s or late 70s New York, um some down on their luck um homo was not going to get very much police attention if right. they disappeared, you know what I mean? Right, like this person had been gone for 15 years i don't know how hard they looked but it sounds like probably not too hard <laughs> if it was an ex-lover of this person and they they couldn't find it in the house so
2: right. this is like to have such secrets like that locked away <laughs> yeah <laughs> but be, you know, putting on makeup and going on stage every night anyway like it's amazing it's like uh, it's insane to think that what she, if she even thought about it did she think about it after she did it was she tortured by it who knows but like to to think that like she was like hmm. living her life <laughs> putting on a dress going to work right really
1: her bigger her bigger complaint was how many <laughs> How many categories there were.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> and, like, nowadays, when, um, like, all these drag skills and all these looks have stepped way, way up. Not to, to put, you know, to take anything away from these folks. But, like, you watch a drag queen put on makeup now. And she is using brushes and sponges and all sorts of, like things you know the makeup has changed so much and to watch her put on like her makeup with her fingertip it's like watching my grandmother put on makeup because there's no brushes <laughs> there's no artistry there's no shape reshaping the face with contouring or anything like that it's just like let me just smudge on some eyeliner or some eye shadow and i'm ready <laughs> right well it's not much of a transformation um
0: i yeah i thought it was a great movie actually um i really loved it but i would I would think, um, even at that time, there were uh, there were s- some successful white drag queens around who were like more glamorous and working in higher end uh, clubs and places like that, right? I
2: mean, there must have been. Or had right? to
0: have been, I would think, because you know, you even had you know the whole Bette Midler and and Madonna was coming up then. Like I I just feel like they were they were part of that culture too, and there there must have been higher. It couldn't have all been mm-hmm. in, in auditoriums and stuff like that.
2: Well, you've always had people like um, uh, Dame Edna. Dame Edna's been doing drag since the 50s. And you right. well, a and- sh- straight guy doing drag. But nonetheless, like that was like the most so- socially acceptable drag up until the 80s, roughly. The British sh- could always get away with it, yeah. Right. And um, in New York, there was a drag queen named Charles Pierce... Who is absolutely one of the funniest? Um, just he—he's the classic drag queen that you would think of. That did like Betty Davis, and um, he did like the voices of old actresses and glamorous Hollywood. And he—it was so funny. He was sort of like May West meets all of those characters. And t- when you look back and you try to find performances of old drag queens, he's one of the only people that I can find anything one because they just either weren't filmed or right. It um, was—it was just a a
0: subculture again right. so it was yeah yeah i'd like i like to think somebody had success at that <laughs> during that period you know
2: i'm sure somebody did and it's somebody we're not thinking of because they're so disassociated right from anything edgy or anything like you know we think of like who was gay in the 80s and we think of like oh elton john but he never said anything really no. Paul Lynde, right? Same thing. Lynde, right? Never said anything publicly, and um, it was always so, so in the closet, or you know, they were apologizing because they were dying from AIDS or whatever. And um, you, you, this some culture where people are just completely open about it, and it's not even the gay thing that they're like hassled by. It's it's other things in life, like getting by and paying the rent and stuff like that. Like, just really, you hadn't seen that, right?
0: No, it was, yeah, no, it was really great. And I, I hate to keep harping on it, but growing up in the, the kind of punk alternative scene, I did see a lot of parallels. Obviously, I was not living in poverty by the time I was um, becoming a punk and stuff. But um, but you did have the same sense of, I don't fit in in anywhere else, but like when I go to the shows, you meet like-minded people and it's like a little small community that that you have um, a- apart from all the bullshit that's going on in society. So I, I could relate to it at least on that level. Um, yeah. Which I think was really great. And as I said, uh, the to me, the punk, the kind of punk alternative stuff I was seeing, I was into was very accepting of, like, they were big, we were big into um, dance music as well. And, and, uh, and totally pro-gay. Dance music punks. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. You think it's funny, but like, you think of like New Order. Uh, oh, sure they, sure. they started out as a punk band. Um, the Human League started out as a punk band. Um, they did. They did. I, well, oh kind of more noisy. Yeah. Same with oh. um, Scritti Politti. Started out as very like post-punk, aggro. A lot of, a lot of uh, that stuff. Because you think of it as as fun dance music, but mm-hmm. New Order wasn't played on the radio. It was still only played on alternative stations and stuff back then. You know, um, and th- the same with stuff like The Smiths and stuff like mm-hmm. yeah, Morrissey's God now and whatever. But but back then it was still wise, you know it, it, to me it was about being open minded and and you could relate to the outsiders there were a lot of gay a lot of gay kids in the punk scene when i was around and um huh. yeah it so but we did you know in a way it's also you can see it as kind of slumming for for some white kids to go hang sure. out in grungy places or whatever but you know we, we didn't see it that way obviously you don't when you're 15 or whatever right um, but it was it was a good I don't know. It it made me more open minded for sure. And I so I, I saw a lot of parallels here um, and yeah. and it was really just just great to see to see any kind of
2: subculture on film from the period. Yeah, really, really unusual. And it ends in the best way. I feel like the movie kind of, I mean, it doesn't really, the movie doesn't go from point A to point B. It sort of goes from like, here's this thing to like, wow, look, now it's more successful. But in the end, like Dorian Corey's quote is um, something like, um, you know, if you shoot an arrow and it goes real high, hooray for you.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, but that's not the true end. After the credits, there's that kid. This is what's like being gay in New York. (laughs)
2: Yeah, <laughs> such a bleak um time for you, time period I'm, I'm surprised that it came out like so good and like so loving like i have such loving feelings about it yes. I, well
1: but i think the the people in the movie are just so f- full of life and so f- like fun. full of joy and yeah. fun that even though they're describing these ter- like when venus describes that awful thing that happened to her she's smiling and it's it's you want to smile with her, and then when you find out she died, you don't want to smile anymore. But it's such a terrible ending. But it's a great yeah. It's everybody in this movie is like wonderful, even when they're they're mocking, like reading was when when they're making fun of mm-hmm. each other, right? Even when they do that, it's fun. It's not like it's, even it's not mean spirited. No, no, you're ugly. <laughs> you no, know it. it's it's a fun. It's just when when you do it so sharply and and so. Without, yeah, without being mean spiritly, it's, it's fun.
0: Right. It's something, uh, it's a skill that you can appreciate when somebody does well, even if they're doing it to you. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. Let's I'll not start, go that reading, far. Yes. start reading
2: the two of you more
0: often. <laughs> Be my guest. We read ourselves, man.
2: You do. <laughs> <laughs> you guys really go at each other sometimes in like really subtle ways. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I.
0: I, I would highly recommend this movie to pretty much everybody. Uh, maybe maybe not um, maybe not Rand Paul supporters, but
2: <laughs>
1: but perhaps well, RuPaul supporters.
2: <laughs> there's probably more of those anyway. I think I mean, so. I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> All right, uh, they're do, related, right? Yeah, I think they are related. Yeah, last name. They might even be married. Well. No, I guess not. Yeah. I was, RuPaul, Paul is not RuPaul's last name. Sorry, that was stupid. <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't think they're married. They'd be more likely to meet up in a, in a bathroom somewhere, I think. Yeah, totally. Um, not by RuPaul's, not, be, not for RuPaul's sake. Um, I, don't
1: think, I don't think RuPaul's gay, so forget that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think RuPaul has taste, so forget that. Um, all right. Should we uh, take a break and move on to RuPaul's Drag Race? Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back. We had a comrade, a brave comrade. He could talk for whole days. But then he tried to be a hero. Tried talking about Shamero to computers wearing earphones. He almost died for conversation. Good vibrations and I par straight racing, steeple chasing the Reformation Transubstantiation We Brian in creation The land
1: of the tracians and right back to the start it's gonna take some
0: time and patience for the best things. And we're back with RuPaul's Drag Race Season 4, Episode 1.
2: So you guys had not seen this before, correct? Never seen an episode. Uh, correct. N- I mean, nothing? <laughs> did you know anything about the show? I knew it existed. I, I
0: did not know anything about it. I mean, you can kind of get the gist from sure. the title. <laughs>
2: sure. <laughs> Were you expecting drag racing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I would not have watched that. Although RuPaul's Drag racing might be actually kind of fun. It could be fun. They should do that as a challenge someday. I will. I want to say at the top. Um, I think this show is funnier than probably ninety-five percent of the scripted sitcoms on TV. But um, I think I, I. don't have a problem with anybody on it or anything. It's just the format to me. Like I. It's. I'm not a. I'm just not a reality show guy mm-hmm. for some reason. I mean, it's basically Project Runway or America's Top Model, but with drag uh, queens, which makes it. Far more interesting and and intelligent than a bunch of dumb models.
1: My least favorite thing about reality shows, and this show definitely does it, is that they'll go into a commercial break with with something, and then they'll come back and, like, sum everything up for you because you're too stupid to remember it over
2: the Remember two break. seconds ago, that yeah. That
1: drives me <laughs> up the wall. And every reality show does it, and this one does it as well.
2: Well, the interesting thing about RuPaul's Drag Race is that it started um, – it started, so we're, they're on the seventh season now. We're watching the fourth because the fourth has some very unique um, differences to all the other ones. And it starts off in the first season as a very literal parody. Of, um, of proper, reality of shows, every yeah. other reality show, like when they show the judging panel in the first season, instead of being like in sharp focus and great color, it's it's like soft focus and sort of Blurred. blurry, <laughs> and it's just like the original season of America's uh, Next Top Model. So they're totally doing a parody. RuPaul starts off as more of a parody of Tim Gunn, <laughs> and in the beginning, they have to make their costumes, and like it's it's so much more work. And in the very first season, they, there's way fewer drag queens, and they actually the prize is like $5,000 and a free beverage. You know, it's really bad. And by the time you get to season two, they've upped their game a little bit. There's no more blurry. But the prize is still only like $25,000. And then season three, the prize is $50,000. And season four, it's the first time the prize goes to $100,000. I
0: I was thinking watching it, I was like, only
2: (laughs)
1: $100,000? It's like Austin Powers. (laughs) Exactly. Are you willing (laughs) to work for $100,000? I mean,
2: it's it's a lot of money, but for a TV show... For a TV show on like a, a nothing network look, like logo, I guess that's a big deal. But to, <laughs> it took them four years to get to $100,000. It's really funny Be- because these girls are, are like really they're doing they're bringing so much to the show. They're bringing like 12 episodes worth of costumes plus more that they're prepared to bring. And then throughout the show, they, you know, they meet the different challenges or whatever. And they, you know, th- they're whittled down to three and one wins the big prize and the others don't get anything and they they just well, have done all of this work for the fame they're going to get from the show right, which,
0: exactly i was going to say they, they get at least fame or at the very least notoriety right, which they've all gotten
2: right i mean the community has definitely embraced that. which they should they uh, absolutely should
0: i will say i i was glad with the contestant that got sent home
2: on this episode yeah
0: <laughs> because she was my least favorite of them <laughs>
2: It's really – this season, I picked this one for you guys to watch because um, this is Sharon Needle's big season, which um, she's the the drag queen who everybody else enters as like a beautiful model or a glamorous woman or whatever. And then Sharon comes on as a witch in like a, a cheap Halloween costume yes. for the most part. And she's she's the first person who goes on that show and does sort of like this character that's sort of okay with being ugly. And who's okay with being kind of weird and punk rock and kind of freaky. And previous to this, it's really been there's been a little bit of that, but it's really been more like Glamour. the most beautiful, glamorous, fashionable person wins. And um, Sharon has this great personality. She's she brings something crazy every single episode. <laughs> and you know, she I won't spoil the end for you, but um, it's pretty obvious who's going to win the whole season in that episode. <laughs> And they just they go through the challenges just like you would with kind of a tongue-in-cheek approach to things. Um, but it's all based on what happened with Paris is Burning. It all comes from that sort of idea of like the competition and the, paw- the balls and the snatching a trophy at the end. And um, there's so many challenges based on um, – there's challenges based on mopping, which is something introduced in Paris is Burning to describe like shoplifting stuff. Yes, that you need. yes. Um, There's challenges based on um, other things that happen in Paris is Burning, um, among other things. But this was a great season just because everybody's such a character – and especially Sharon. And they really, like, upped the game tremendously in this season. But that's enough of me talking about it. I want to hear what you guys think.
0: <laughs> well, uh, sorry, I wanted to go back to Paris and Burning because you said mopping. I forgot about that because I remember when they when they introduced the term mopping, I'm like, oh, is that some kind of dance thing? No, it's just shoplifting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't really even know why you need a name for it. Another name, but...
2: <gasps> <laughs> it really doesn't make any sense why they renamed shoplifting. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: But anyway, um, I thought all the characters on this were great. And they looked so much better than the, the Paris is Burning uh, models for the most
2: part. Oh, yeah. Uh, like what makeup and, and like couture and like people who learn to sew and like the way fashion, everything has changed. The way the reality TV presents it with like good well, lighting.
1: And also not living in poverty. That might right. help <laughs> you. Yeah. Just a little bit.
2: Maybe a little. They're not rich, but yeah. <laughs> They're rich no. and in other seasons, they tell stories that are every bit as sad as what was in Paris is Burning. Like like Sharon was like one of those kids who like got sent home from school for wearing makeup or like got beaten up a lot or um but another Hit, another queen in another season was, like, left by his mother at a bus station when he was a little boy. Jesus. And, like, there's all these, like, sad-ass stories. And there's transgender people in, like, almost every season that, like, it's a big announcement. This person is transgender and they break down and cry about it on the runway or whatever. But it's it's really a little silly that they that they do that. But Yeah,
1: I was going to say, I mean, these stories do sound sad. But unlike in Paris is Burning, they also sound like they're manipulative. Mm-hmm. Like they're being told just to win the contest. Right. So who right. knows if they're true or not. And, and the other thing you're, we were talking about, the, the similarities, one of the similarities that's missing is that these not all of these people seem fun. <laughs> yeah, like when they're no. making fun of each other, it's more just mean-spirited and they want to win $100,000 and not, no, oh, not, let's just have fun.
0: But not yeah. from all of them. No, 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 yeah, not yeah. all
1: of them. But some of them are real jerks.
0: Right. Some of them are reading uh, – in the, in the cool <sighs> sense, and then some are just being assholes.
2: Right, exactly. Like, in this season, the, the big rivalry is with Fifi, um, Fifi O'Hara and Sharon. And Fifi is, like, this really insecure person. And, and she means – she. I mean, she's a kid, so you can't really hate her for it, but they definitely make her the villain. And she's this one who, like, gets into the most screaming battles, says the nastiest things about other people. And the the whole season basically becomes about Sharon versus Fifi on a lot of episodes. But despite that, you still have these great characters like Latrice, who is an enormous um, oh, African-American the drag The guy that queen. just got out
1: of jail. That story I didn't feel <laughs> manipulated by. I just thought he was awesome.
2: He <laughs> is awesome. And um, Jiggly. <laughs> like there's a drag queen named Jiggly Caliente. And you know, she's missing a lot of her back teeth. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a weird look. But um she's she's as gross as she is sometimes in some of those challenges where she's got this enormous belly. Like she's still fun and she's still funny to, to listen to. And it's just like any reality show. They make, you know, arcs for different people and everybody goes home eventually. But um it's funny to watch um some of those people really like get to you that you really love, like Latrice you love from the instant you meet her. And the whole season is actually really stand out. It's really one of the best seasons of the show that they ever did, and it's worth watching more than just the first episode. If you if you decide to go into it. <laughs> so, damn it!
0: I know who Fifi is. Who's the Who's the blonde dude? Is that the other one that was? He's he's like comes off really cocky in this first episode. Oh, yeah! Comes, like first thing he says is "Go home, everybody" or something like that. And
1: <laughs> uh, was that the princess? I'm looking
2: at the names. That is look- Willem. Oh, right, yes, well, it, it oh. is. Uh, yeah, Philadelphia. He, is he? That's what it says here. Oh, I didn't know that yeah, I, yeah. he turned
0: me <laughs> off a bit.
2: yeah um, <laughs> he, he
0: seemed like pretty much just a, like he seemed insecure to me, but obviously covering it up with cockiness but uh but yeah i didn't I didn't get I kind of liked Fifi actually, so yeah. maybe maybe she gets worse
2: later on. Um, she gets way worse later on. And okay. since then, since then has had like a total turnaround and is much like like has let a lot of that stuff go. But at first she's fun and she's always very pretty, but it's this battle of like um you you hear it when they're on the runway getting judged. Like she looks like a pageant, like a Miss America pageant type queen with lots of like gorgeous makeup and like very heavy, thick makeup. And this is the season where they sort of move away from that and they're sort of like, Okay, you don't have to do that. You're making yourself look like an old fashion something yes yeah do something more fun like and willem is um willem is is a more experienced drag queen well willem looks good for sure he looks great and they really nail in on very fine aspects of his performance and appearance that you start to see the cracks in things like he's so naturally female looking, that he just wears regular girl makeup. He doesn't put on like the heavy pancake makeup to cover a beard the way the others do. Right. And later in the season, they're like, okay, I can see your five o'clock shadow. You need to start wearing real makeup. And, you know, he eventually goes home. Um, he doesn't win. I'm not spoiling anything. This was four years ago. Um, he vomits on the stage and then gets kicked off the show. <laughs> so totally worth watching.
1: <laughs> he was disqualified on Wikipedia for conjugal yeah. visits.
2: That's that's what the story. They never tell you during the season. They tell you at the at the very last episode. He says that his um, his uh, husband was coming to um, visit um, at the hotel where they were sequestered during the show, and they others found out about it, and so. That's why he went home. Well, why can't why can't they're they? Not allowed listeners? to have sex. What the hell? No, like it's this. Uh, the more I've learned about the show, that's kind of crazy. Like they take this so seriously. Like the the nobody can have a cell phone. They take your cell phone away from the minute you you join the cast <gasps> or you come to you know the hotel or whatever. You have no cell phone. You have no internet. You can't contact anybody you know. Um, you have to they've they've got it now. Um, people were guessing who was on the show every year while they were filming it's a big secret but people were guessing and on Reddit and Facebook and stuff they would look to see like my favorite local drag queen has been missing for weeks. Where is she? <laughs> and like people would guess and the the big problem was that in season three, nobody had signed a non-disclosure agreement I think and the the winner was leaked early in the season. Like everybody was talking about it. And everybody said, "Oh, it's going to be this person," and it was that person because it got leaked. And RuPaul was apparently so angry that that happened that they clamped down. And now they're totally sequestered. They can't even talk to each other after they go home to their hotels. Like they are basically locked in their rooms. Oh, I, so it's a it's a not spilling the beans thing is why they can't have visitors. Exactly. Uh, got it. This is the first season where they – it's its definitely ridiculous considering, but they actually tape um, – in the last episode when they announced the winner, they, they do it live in front of a live audience, um, um, and they tape all three finalists winning, <laughs> and they only upload the real winner the night that the show airs. And nobody knows who the real winner was until the night that the show actually airs. So it's really crazy. The fans of the show are crazy, and there's so much. There's always so much speculation, and there's people who like, like blog about nothing but this and hang on every word and every episode. And it's a little ridiculous, as most shows like this are. But um, that's not really RuPaul. RuPaul's like sort of a little more aloof from it. Above himself. it all, yeah.
1: Well, Well, it sounds like he wasn't if he was so angry about the winner getting out that he clamped down on things. And here's,
0: yeah, here's the thing. I mean, as I said before, I may not be a fancy big city lawyer, (laughs) but it seems to me that if you actually just put a nondisclosure agreement in place, you don't really have to sequester everybody and make them live like prisoners. It's a legally binding document. And uh, if they, you know, if they break it, then they're fucked. So why go through all the extra
2: efforts? You'd think so. I guess it's just to show them that they mean absolute business. Yeah. Like, not. I'm working with someone right now who um, was tangentially part of the sh- one of the shows. Um, a, I don't want to say. Um, I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But he, he cannot keep his mouth shut. Like He was part of one of the shows, and he knows a lot of the girls who are on this season, and he cannot keep his mouth shut. And the first time I met him, he told me something that I know he should never have been telling me. And people just can't keep their mouths shut about this stuff because it's, like, the thing everybody wants to know, the thing everybody wants to be close about. Because it's, like, the one big, fun, successful thing on Logo. (laughs) I don't know what else that channel shows besides, like, Golden Girls and Facts of Life. (laughs) They used to show Buffy. They used to. They don't even do that anymore. Now it's all, like, 80s sitcoms and... um, Facts of Life is big in the gay community? You know... That's, we should have a talk about that because I fucking hate the facts of life. Yeah, I don't get it. But okay, yeah, we'll, we'll discuss yeah. that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> After season three, it's just a, a story about weight gain and weight loss and weight gain and weight loss. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it pretty much is. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, so Um, what, Um, again, I, f- I feel like I don't want to talk too much about this. I want to hear what you guys think. No, um,
0: I, like I said, I thought it was...
2: I, I, like, busted
0: out laughing numerous times, and I don't think any more so than at the end, and this might be something that they've done for every season, but I, since I haven't seen it, I didn't know. Uh, for the, the final two, to decide who goes home, they just had a dance-off. Like, it came out of <laughs> yeah. nowhere. They just started, to, and I was, like, on the floor rolling. And well, I was...
1: they talked about the whole episode.
0: <laughs> I guess, but...
1: It's just, I, I just... to enter a dance-off. You don't want to be involved in a dance-off.
0: But it was so unexpected the way it just came came on and then they just started doing it
1: um well i think the funny thing about the dance off was how bad the one the one was that she just was destroyed.
2: yeah <laughs> and they were both like when the first two people that get up for elimination are usually the worst two and to watch one beat the other one is like watching like a fourth grader beat up a third grader you know like they're both like pretty bad in general right <laughs> but yeah it's been part of the show like so when you go to a drag show in a club like which I don't do this kind of thing very often because I'm not really into this but the the big performance they're dressing like Lady Gaga they're dressing like some songstress and they are lip-syncing to that person's song and performing as if they were that person channeling that person and that is the hallmark of how the drag queen makes money because while you're doing that you're walking into the audience or you're getting close to the audience and they're tipping you but the performance that most drag queens do is only that like most of them are not like what we have here in the city where they you know they reenact um golden girls or they you know they reenact their own little plays or like we have like amazingly creative drag queens here and not to like diss anybody anywhere else, Philadelphia, but um they probably just perform like I've I've known a few Baltimore and Philadelphia Queens and they just like go out in the audience and sing you know in a sexy costume and some people give them money and that's the whole deal there's nothing more to it than that so the lip sync for your life at the end is sort of like this is the basis of what the drag queen is in the gay community and if you can't do this you shouldn't be here yeah you shouldn't call yourself a drag queen <laughs> right right and you know the all the stuff that came before that this episode features this post apocalyptic um, or as the one theme. contestant keeps saying, post-apocalyptic. Yeah,
1: I felt bad. I didn't know if that was on purpose, or he just didn't know how to say it.
0: He didn't know how to say it, but it was it was even funnier because he kept having it said to him, so there was really no reason for him to forget how to say it.
1: And he says he doesn't know what it means, but he kind of was close with his costume, so... Yeah.
2: And then poor dear goes home very quickly. Yeah, I could see it. A little, yeah. A little green. Yeah, exactly. But yet is, is a renowned costume designer. Has well, made lots of costumes for people. Yeah, I could see that. But yeah, that, that whole thing, like what was really great about that season is everybody was taking like, the challenge was to like, go get junk out of a dumpster and to turn it into outfits. And that's what they do in their post like apocalyptic challenge <laughs> and they are being chased by zombie drag queens while they do it. And then <laughs>
1: one of the funniest thing was about that was I think maybe Sharon needles. I don't remember who it was, but every time she took took something, she would compliment, Oh, you look
2: fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> Like, Sharon embraces that spooky character. Right. So, every time they throw something at her that another girl would just be like, oh, a zombie. She's like, oh, you look great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think some of the zombies didn't even realize she wasn't one of them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> her normal look is so disturbing. Yeah. And, like, she is a rock star amongst that type of girl that loves that gothic, like, crazy scary look. Like, the, the one time I've had to meet multiple people from that show... Um, Sharon was there along with some of the others who are in this season and um couldn't get close to Sharon because it was all like thirteen and fourteen year old girls just like up in her grill the whole time. And everybody else was like normal and you know, they had normal adult fans. Right. But like Sharon is the one that appeals to all the like the freaky the hot topic, like, topic shoppers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and it's great. I'm glad that it's there, but like, it's just so. It's she really has bought into this like fame that the show has bought her, and it's a little hard to be around her or to listen to her now because she's very. She definitely believes her press. Her hype, yeah. I, oh, I, I like how you make
1: that. it sound like you were forced to go to this uh, RuPaul's I know. Drag Race <laughs> event. I know.
2: it's not something you begged for year, for weeks and weeks to go to. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I had to talk to so many of the queens. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> You're cutting thirteen-year-olds to
1: get get in front of the line. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, I will. Stay down, bitch.
2: <laughs> oh, uh, hmm. that's my glamorous life, I suppose. <laughs>
1: so I why did Kenya get eliminated and then brought back? Does that happen every season? One person gets eliminated and brought back.
2: Oh my God! Did you read that for ahead? No, I'm just looking to list of who won and everything when we. So Kenya is, um, she's basically sort of, she runs out of tricks pretty quickly and, um, she gets eliminated, um, and brought back because they just do that sometimes, Like okay. they're doing it this season two. They haven't done it since I think season four or five, but they don't do it every year or no, they haven't done it since season, since that season, season four. And they're doing it again this year, um, where they're sending somebody home super obvious when they sent this person home, that they would be coming back. Super obvious. But um, its its a tr- they don't play the same tricks every year. They change it up a little bit. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. But they um, they definitely keep it fresh or as fresh as they can with um, not doing the same old thing every single year. And it's usually to – it keeps you interested. At
0: well, least. yeah. It's, it's another pretty standard reality show thing to, yeah. to do stuff like Is that. It? Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, well, I was rooting for her, and I was disappointed to see that she didn't get very far. Well, you're spoiling she was the it.
0: You're spoiling it for the rest of us, Pat. It was four I, years ago. Well, I might keep watching this season, although I would say uh, maybe once a week because it's it's a yeah. it's a bit much <laughs> to watch, to binge watch <laughs> this thing.
1: I enjoy lots of aspects of it, but I couldn't stand watching the whole thing. It's just, there's all the all the reality show aspects of it drive me crazy. Yeah,
0: so. the, I'm the same. I just have a problem with reality shows. In I, I, if
1: someone had a RuPaul's Drag Race party, I would go and watch the funny parts, and then go do something else while everything else was happening. But that's about all I could do. <laughs> yeah,
2: if you if you guys watch any more, I would say the the episode where they do they do one episode where they're they're like doing um like sitcoms. Um, where the challenge is to do to act in a sitcom and that episode is hilarious and then every season they do an episode called the snatch game which is like the match game where they're all doing different celebrities in drag and this is the season where like willem does jessica um simpson somebody else does Cher, like and it's one of the funniest episodes of i think drag race ever Um, okay the snatch game season four yeah yeah and um Sharon does Michelle Visage who's one of the dresses uh, judges rather, and um, it's definitely if you watch nothing else like the Snatch Game episode and the episode where they do the sitcoms is those are two of the funniest episodes of the entire um, series in my opinion.
1: One funny scene in this episode is when I think it's Chad Michaels goes up to Sharon Needles when they're out of costume, and he says, very, very suavely, "You're the kind of guy I usually get into." <laughs> it's like the the cheesiest, worst pickup line yeah. for man or, or for gay man or straight man to ever use. <laughs> and then the Sharon Needles is like, uh, "Oh, really?" Yes. <laughs> and then yeah. he's like, Yeah, I love that meth that meth cheek look <laughs>
2: <laughs> And Chad. Chad is like the first one that like looks so obviously plastic surgery. Um <laughs> like he clearly had a lot of surgery done to his face to look more like Cher or whoever. And he's he turns out, like, you think you're going to hate him from that scene and from that first episode. But he turns out to be one of the sweetest, like, most likable characters in the whole series. Because he's totally, like, in charge of, like, not... He doesn't, like, he doesn't hate anybody. And he, he's he's the real mother of the whole group, considering he's the oldest. Um, <laughs> but he really he really ends up being really likable. And he's one of the three finalists at the end. Obviously doesn't win, but...
1: There, there's... I forget who. There's two guys that are uh, two drag queens that had really messed up gums and one was the uh, Jiggy Caliente and then there's another one yes there's a scene where somebody came in and was really bitchy for no reason <laughs> like don't do that you have to be nice until there's a reason to be nice <laughs> I thought that was really, really funny but also really sweet <laughs> like like people are going to be bitchy on purpose to try to like be more popular in the show and he's just like don't do that, you don't need to that was awesome. Totally, totally
2: <laughs> like there's all these like nuggets of wisdom hidden in these moments when they're talking to each other or when they're putting on their makeup and talking or whatever and it's sort of like it feels very much like what Paris is Burning was. Like when you're listening to people put on and they're putting on their makeup and they're telling you a story, like it's got the reality TV convention. Somebody's gotta go home every episode or whatever. And I, I hate the tension that they try to create because it feels yeah. very false. And you can basically tell who's going to go home in the first few minutes because they <laughs> always give it away. They always do some setup like <laughs> somebody you really love will say, well, I'm not going home this week. I'm going to be per- whatever. And that person are going is to give it away be- in the
1: first five minutes. Yeah. Why do these people have to be sequestered? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's so crazy. It really is. It's bizarre, very popular, very sought after show. And I, I um, feel
1: like I want to start a human rights campaign for, for contestants <laughs> on RuPaul's Drag Race let And the Amnesty International,
2: dude. <laughs> and, you know, the first, the last thing I'll say about the show is that I've never seen it on Hulu before. I had never watched it on, like, a, you know, my big screen TV with Hulu or whatever. And I was shocked at how you can see every bead of sweat <laughs> on everybody's face all the time when you're looking <laughs> at it in a high-definition television. How do you usually watch it? Well, I usually watch it on a smaller TV, like downstairs, and in like uh, we'll be in bed, cuddle up, watching it or something. But I watched oh, okay. it upstairs. Sorry, it's such personal information. But like <laughs> I watched it upstairs on like our big TV, and and um in general, I forgot that Hulu was going to show like a higher definition version than what you see on TV. And um, my God, the sweat! <laughs> it, it's just so taken aback by it. everybody's sweating.
0: Yeah, I think I'm I'm immune to it now because I've been watching stuff on a big high-def TV for so long. I, I remember when I first got it, I was like, oh, Jesus,
2: I don't need to see your pores. <laughs> yeah, no. now or like I'm just ev- used to it. Every makeup line or every stain or every, like, wet spot on somebody's clothing, like, I had never noticed it until I watched the show. And, like, now I can't stop seeing it on every (laughs) show that I see. I
0: I did like your little stealth brag about having two stories in your place, too,
2: Michael. I I own a two-story place in San Francisco. (laughs) Well, I don't own, I rent. So that should make you all feel better. (laughs) Um, and it's, uh, we've been here for 15 years in this apartment basically. So I, we so, got in here when the rent was like crazy low. So, yeah. You will never leave. Yeah, exactly. I could never afford to leave.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I thought it was, like I said, I, I don't usually laugh out loud at, uh, at sitcoms. Um, and I did yeah. it this, so I've, I've got to give it props and all, I thought all the, all the, uh, drag queens were great. And RuPaul's obviously great. Uh,
1: Wait, let's talk about RuPaul's laugh, which makes me think that there's something from hell coming to get me.
0: <laughs> something from hell coming
1: to get you? <laughs> or somewhere otherworldly. That laugh is it's Some
0: awful. interdimensional demon land. Yeah. I, I want to talk about how much uh, RuPaul looks like Dave Chappelle.
2: Well, I guess he does now, now that it's, uh, he's, well, I guess he's always been bald, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, he does kind of look like Dave Chappelle. Yeah, it's great.
0: Uh, no, RuPaul's a great host. You you mentioned uh, how it was like a spoof of like America's Top Model at the beginning, and that, but this season they had one of the America's Top Model judges judging. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like, the judges that they get on this show are amazing. Like Elvira, be like, yeah. who we've we've done a whole episode on before.
1: Yeah, it was, it was awesome seeing Elvira and the fact that she looks as
2: good as she did How in the does movie she look we watched so is good. amazing. I don't know. I've seen her out of makeup. I mean, I've seen pictures of her out of makeup, not in real life. And she doesn't look old. You know, she looks like a young, like beautiful, perfectly... Like, she must be, like, pulled, you know... You I know. guess, but it's a good job because she looks... I mean,
0: she doesn't look plastic surgeryed up. She no, just looks it doesn't good. look like any
1: work has been done. It's just, I mean, places where work would be done, I guess, you wouldn't notice. But, I mean, she's, yeah, she looks good. Well, she puts
2: us all to shame. Yeah, those bangs probably hide a lot. You Possibly, know what I mean? like, yeah. Like, they're probably hiding a lot of, like, age signs, possibly but you know those like i've seen those people in real life i've worked with with um not to brag but i have you know we're working on a book with michelle visage who's one of the judges and i went down there for a photo shoot and they really do like they tape your skin back for a photo or for on-screen performance so they make you look tight and they make your face look really smooth by like sometimes they'll tape you or they'll do all they have all kinds of tricks they can do that make you look really smooth and tight on camera but then as soon as that that you know those lights go off they pull that off and you're back to looking like somebody you know like one of us i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> so michelle Vis- visage
1: is the one that was uh telling you too much about the current per- season actually no it wasn't
2: really <laughs> <a> nice try <laughs> <laughs> She is amazing. I love her. Uh, but the person who told me about the season was uh, somebody else completely that you would never know even <laughs> though he's been on the show. Pat, yeah. <laughs> I like how Pat's against uh,
0: treating these these contestants like uh, Nazi war criminals and yet, or, or like concentration camp victims and yet he's, well, I, I he's like trying to get you to name long. names just <laughs> yeah. like a Nazi.
1: It's too, it's too late, John. The joke took way too long. I know it
0: did. I fucked it up. Names and names. Because Nazi, Nazi war criminals are not uh, the most sympathetic people, I suppose, <laughs> as, as long, opposed as to part concentration camp not.
2: victims. <laughs> what a smooth joke that was.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Nazi people who were not good people. <laughs>
2: the category is podcast jokester realist uh,
0: realism. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you because who knows what Pat's got planned for me now. Throw in an oven. Oh. <laughs> what? Anyway, uh, Pat's not Pat's not denying it either.
1: <laughs> well, I thought you were comparing me to the big bad wolf, and I was, yeah, yeah, it's me.
2: How big I, your teeth are, little John. <laughs> I thought you said something about Pat putting you in an oven, didn't you? I did. <laughs> Let's just, not revisit it. I'm just picturing that. <laughs> Like preheating and... I'm going to make a little John Pie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the whole time you're baking, I'm sure you would continue talking. Oh, I would. I'd be critiquing his whole baking technique.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Garlic goes there, bitch.
2: <laughs> this is
0: not going to be tender, him. idiot? <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> yes it's okay. a it's well i will say it's a it's the most uh, entertaining reality show i've seen
2: it really is it's it's entertaining like there's so many different like i could talk about the show forever like it's a good thing if you've never seen it to get on hulu and look for one it's also on amazon prime um so if you have that it's free there too but um like to look at at least an episode from this season if you've never seen it and it's like it's crack you get addicted if you can bear the reality show stuff and if you like humor um, and having a good time um. <laughs> which i hate
0: <laughs> yeah pat's pat's never been for that
2: which you're, but
1: if you're choosing between rupaul's Drag Race and paris is burning please watch paris is burning
2: oh i agree with that yeah i think we probably all agree yeah, that's a cultural touchstone. Everybody should see that, no matter what, no matter whether you watch anything else or not. Everybody should see *Paris Is Burning*. Um,
0: yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I may continue watching this season and see how it goes. Um, but yeah, I, I was really surprised at the at the high level of of craftsmanship that these
2: drag queens displayed. Oh, yeah. And it gets, like, it gets so much better every season. Like, it's insane. Like, the things that, like, when you look at, like, Dorian Corey smudging on her makeup with a fingertip, and then you go to, like, the way these girls are, like, Sharon painting herself like a, a zombie, and when she's walking the runway, like, the she has the blood come out of her mouth. <laughs> yeah. Like oh my god! Like who would even think to do that? No wonder she won. No wonder she was like an immediate like wow, because yeah, I she's. I thought there was something wrong with the judges when they sent her away. I was like, what the hell?
1: How is she <laughs> not winning? And then I didn't understand how it worked, but still, well, it was
0: amazing. I, yeah, I do. I, like I said, the loser I thought was just those tits were too much. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous, and
1: you would say that.
0: <laughs> I don't like fun either, Pat. <laughs> uh, we're both from the Soren Kierkegaard school of living your life. Yeah, I I just thought it was like, like I think they even said it was tacky, and that's how that's how it seemed to me. Her her costume.
2: Yeah, it was very bar. I mean, not to not to talk poorly someone I don't know. I'm sure she's she's upped her game a lot since then. But um, it's very like what you call a bar queen. You know, in in a in a bar situation, the queen is sort of like not super creative. You're sort of just performing. You're not really bringing something that people haven't seen before. Yeah. And a lot of those queens use those those boob plates, um, those silicone breastplate things that um, that give the illusion of having breasts. And you can use them good, and you can use them badly. And she yeah, was she just like badly. Bleh. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Others will use them tremendously well, but she was just bad. Yeah. And. What, What you don't see, what you guys aren't seeing, is that there's a whole second show that spins off of Drag Race that usually, um, that used to air right after, uh, called Untucked. And it would show you what happens while the queens, um, when they get sent off stage during the judging, they used to be sent back to the Untucked studio. And it was just a camera on them while they were talking to each other. And some of it was a little hyper-real. It was definitely a little played up for drama or played up for whatever. But, like, when they were back there, they would be, like, um, there were fights. There's tears. There's, like, people throwing drinks in people's faces. Like, it's kind of insane, the whole untucked um, part of RuPaul that you guys don't see because it, it's you're just seeing the straightforward episode. And they don't even they don't do it on TV anymore. Now it's just gone to like a web show only. But there's there's a whole bunch of like sort of secondary shows now that have sprung up. Like Michelle interviews the person who goes home, um, and she interviews them in their hotel room the day after, and you know she's in like her sweatpants and they're in their sweatpants and they're looking at you know what the person's packing up to take home. And um, the Untucked is, has turned into something where they just put a camera on a couch backstage and they just go and you kind of get this whole fuller picture of like what they're thinking while they're being judged or you know the the arguments or the backstory to people that you don't get on the show completely and um it's really surprising how much that show has spawned on that network and beyond um that you don't even see when you watch just this show on hulu
0: oh that's cool i I imagine most of the people going home are Just like, oh, I get to fuck and use the internet again. Awesome.
2: (laughs) Well, a lot of them say that. They're like, oh, thank God I can't take this anymore. And, you know, they're happy to go home. But then some of them are like, you really wish they'd stayed because they show you their costumes for like. What they were going to do. Right. And you're like, oh, my God, I wish I'd seen that.
0: Well, that's another thing um, about both these movies that I didn't really think about was that. They make their own costumes, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, of course they do. They don't just go buy." And they even said in Paris, "It's burning." Like, you don't just go out and buy a dress. Like, no. That's...
1: Well, yeah. Well, that was the best one of the best conversations where he's like, "You can tell when someone stole something, <laughs> or if they bought it, because they they did." We, uh, that's what the some children don't make their costumes. They just go get something, and then they just go mob. Yeah, that's when he started talking about mopping. Well, he said you can tell when someone bought something and when they mopped something by the way they acted.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it is—it's like um, when you're when you're a man dressing up as a woman. Women's clothes don't fit you. Right. Right. Like, Fashionable women's clothes, especially, aren't made for someone your size because even though if you're thin, which a lot of these guys are, like even if you're real thin, they're not built for your proportions. So you have to alter things or you have to get it custom made. Or, or a lot of them make their stuff, a lot of them pay other people to make stuff for them. But there's, there's that whole side of the creativity that you don't even imagine what yeah. goes into it. Yeah, no, it's insane. People make their own shoes, and just the makeup alone is like a lifetime pursuit. <laughs> and the the, the clothes—I don't even know where you'd start. You know, I don't even know how to start that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, I have an idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Last thing we should say is that uh, RuPaul is really the the one responsible for bringing drag culture to uh, to the culture at large, right? <laughs>
2: I'd say so. I mean, I'd say, like I was saying with um, Paris is Burning, I think that he's probably somebody who saw, and he's never said this, so I don't know. I think he probably saw some of the more depressing aspects of Paris is Burning and said, you know what, I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to say that I can't be, you know, an executive if I want to be an executive. Like, I'll do what I want to do. And I think that the I'm not going to take no for an answer kind of personality that he has is what introduced drag you know, at least in the 90s, to mainstream American culture. Right. And certainly now. Like, he's the most recognizable. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. That I can think of. Like, there's others. There's others that are way up there, but... um, The only one I even had known
0: about before RuPaul was Divine. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's... That's quite a jump. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, they're they're worlds apart for sure. I don't
1: know the last time that RuPaul ate dog poop right out of a dog's mouth.
2: Although RuPaul's fun. RuPaul's done some like really low budget personal like movies with his friends. Like Star Booty is one, for example, um, where they've done some crazy sort of movies that are sort of in the spirit of John Waters. Um not saying that they're as good as John Waters by any means, but they're definitely, he's done lots of stuff that people just didn't know about or you know, didn't get the same press that this got. Right. Well, and first appearance,
0: do either of you know? I mean, first big major appearance? Hmm.
1: I first don't know. First appearance of RuPaul? Yeah. Is that, the only one, the first I remember seeing is Rick Wigstock, but what came before that?
0: Uh, Love Shack video, B-52s.
2: Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I always forget that he was in that. Yeah, that's so crazy. And Lady Bunny, because they've been like friends that whole time too. Lady Bunny is um, a raunchier, um, less gorgeous version of <laughs> RuPaul, and she was also in the Love Stack, uh, sorry, Love Shack video. And they all knew each other from Georgia. Once again, uh, white people. Yep, <laughs> <laughs>
0: doing, doing it for everybody else. It's hard being us. I know, poor poor us, poor white us. <laughs> all right, uh, all right. Let's uh, let's go to recommendations, Asians, I guess. Great, Michael.
2: Oh, me first. Um, aside from my recommendation that people should wake up and stop thinking that Facts of Life was a good show because it just isn't. It's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Right, I mean, who is
1: saying it's good? Wait, I don't.
2: Do they do? I don't do... think anyone says it's good. Do they do a drag <laughs> Facts of Life? Um, you know what? Um, here in San Francisco, they are doing a drag facts of life, like in the next couple of weeks at the Oasis.
1: Um, well, that's a waste of time. Well, sorry, and tell before... them not to do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, Pat, you know, you take the good, you take the bad. But you be- before you uh, go into your recommendation, Michael, I was yep. going to ask you about the drag um, Golden Girls. Do they just do they just do it line for line from the from an episode, or do they add their own uh, lines to it or anything?
2: You know, here and there they will make changes where they have to like accommodate something that they can't get. Okay, you know what I mean. Or if they 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 do a lot of gender swapping, but so um, they don't
0: they don't like add curse words or anything.
2: No, to make it no, more. okay. They keep it very true to the original, and the only thing that they'll do is like sometimes to make it funnier, they will like. Um, like Blanche might have an episode where her daughter comes and they'll have her daughter played by a man who's playing like a really butch lesbian or something like that instead of a pretty like shoulder pad 80s woman. Um, they'll, they'll do things like that where they butch up one character or when Blanche is great. The episodes where they do Blanche's gay brother, he'll come in and he'll be way over the top gay. He'll be like gayer than anything you've ever seen. And it's hilarious, but they pretty much stay to the script of the show. Okay. Um, So it's definitely worth seeing. Um, I don't know about Facts of Life. I was thinking about going to see Facts of Life, except that the – and I probably will. But the show itself is so humorless. It just didn't hold up. No, yeah. It didn't hold up then, yeah. Well, And I loved it when I was a kid. And I thought, oh, I can't wait to get into this again. And I was like, oh, my God, there's not one laugh in the show at all. There's nothing funny about that show. Yeah, no, there's not. I
1: can watch it and still be in love with Joe, right? Joe,
0: we were. Yeah, all us straight guys were in love with Joe for whatever mm. reason.
2: Step aside, Joe. I'm here for Charlotte Ray. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you can have her. Yeah. <laughs> I, she's the I only
1: funny some, one. I think some people like Blair.
2: <laughs> Blair's pretty, I guess, but like, even she's like, she's. She's the prototype for Samantha in Sex in the City, I think. Like she was like the you know the the one who was trying to be witty and rich and have the witty retort to things, and it comes across like the dumbest, clunkiest, like '80s-ish, like no real sense of humor behind. It's so watered down for the masses, and I guess that's what the '80s was, right? I can't blame them.
0: Yeah. Well, they, yeah. They even tried to give Tootsie her own uh, catchphrase, Tootie, not Tootsie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tootsie. I, I always well, confuse I her with, with Dustin Hoffman. Uh,
1: Easy to do.
2: Yeah,
1: Tootsie's kind of a drag queen.
2: <laughs> I would watch that. I would watch it if they did Facts of Life, but they just inserted Tootsie for Tootie. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> like The questions that would come up would be awesome. Well, now we have a stage play to mount, Michael. Yes, right after we do Dolly Parton's
0: Christmas I know. Carol. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm taking a semester off. I will... I will finish, ri- I I really am, so I'll finish writing that thing.
2: I can't wait, maybe we'll have it for this Christmas, it'll be your Christmas yep. Eve episode. Yeah, it would be awesome to do it actually, although it's funnier to do it in July, but yeah, I guess yeah. Christmas. Yeah,
1: not Christmas time. Maybe <laughs> August, yeah, <Christmas> September.
2: <laughs> All right, so I've derided your whole, like, request for recommendations with my hatred for Facts of Life. <laughs> no, go ahead. But- I do have a real recommendation, which I'll make quick. It's just um, Penny Dreadful, um, Season 2, is uh, coming back in a couple of weeks. And um, it's on Showtime, but the first episode got released early today. And I just watched it before we got talking. And um, it's a little bit of the same stuff from last year, but um, still a great show. Okay,
1: oh, yeah, I want to check that out. Still so the first episode recommend- got released legally, or was it like Games of Thrones where... Uh,
2: no, like if you have Showtime, you can just go to On Demand and watch it because okay, they released real. it legally. Exactly. Sometimes Showtime does. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes Showtime does that with their series where they'll release it a week early. But I think this is two weeks early. But um, it's um, just it's a continuation from last season. It picks up right where the last one left off. But um, uh, you gotta love the werewolves. You gotta love the vampires, the witches, all that stuff um and victorian england it's like what league of extraordinary gentlemen should have been um if it had been good as a movie
0: all right penny
1: dreadful season two
2: watch it today
1: pet i will go with first 15 lives of harry august a fun thriller uh, the character keeps dying and coming back to life, but he remembers everything from the previous life, so he's able to turn himself into a genius, and there's all kinds of action and adventure, and it's a fun book. Wait, what's oh, the book? Called? Fifteen Lives of Harry August. All right. The, I'm sorry, the first, the first Fifteen Lives of Harry August.
0: Oh, so it's they can a do book. sequels, yeah.
1: Of course. Huh. All right. Cool. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna recommend
0: just go to YouTube and watch that uh, Joan Rivers interview with Husker Du because it's pretty fucking hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I think she only had them on because she knew two of them were gay, but she, d- like <laughs> you said about the about the movie, she doesn't really know anything about them, so the interview's <laughs> super awkward and weird. It's uh, it's funny just to watch for the weirdness. Um,
1: <laughs> That's one of the things I used to laugh and hate about Larry King, where they would say how could you interview people without reading the book he's like well how would i have better questions if i had read the book i need i have to ask questions <laughs> <That's> <laughs> i never read the book before they come on the show that was his point of pride
0: <laughs> i like how he makes a, a rationalization a point of pride it's, it's not even a it's not even a good excuse but but then again i who are we to say because he did ask the greatest questions of any host in history so oh he did uh, write to us at popculturecontinuum at gmail dot com. <laughs> uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, rate us highly on iTunes. People haven't been doing that. I don't know why. Uh, and uh, what else, Pat? Is that it? Tell your friends to listen. Oh yeah, tell your idiot friends to do something with, with their lives. And your mm. smart friends.
1: Yeah. And, and your in between friends.
0: And once they have done something with their lives, they can afford a uh, a smartphone. They can listen to us. So, uh, thanks again, Michael, for coming on. Uh, I think we'll have you on next to do something uh, more uh, white, straight, macho. I can't wait. And
2: And look for me this Christmas in Dolly Parton's Christmas Carol.
0: Yes. Playing Dolly Parton, I'm assuming.
2: (laughs) Of course.
1: I've
0: already (laughs) got the wig. Listen in. (laughs) All right. I guess that does it for this week. So, uh, until next time, goodbye, everybody.
1: Goodbye. Bye.